Hey folks, welcome back to the Clemson Podcast. It is Tuesday, November 19th. The Clemson Tigers are 11-0 after extending their win streak to 26 games with a 52-3 win against Wake Forest over the weekend. They've won four straight games by more than 45 points, and yet all anyone can talk about is some blonde girl that looks like Trevor. So I guess life is good. Uh, Ben and Cody here with you today to recap the Wake Forest game and take a look at uh, the third version of the 2019 college football playoff rankings. Cody, how's it going? It's good, man. It's good. You know, you're, you're going through the intro and it sounds like the same thing every week. It's like Groundhog Day for Clemson. You know, Clemson beats, you know, insert ACC opponent here, 50 to 5, 50 to 7, and, and we just keep rolling. And we're ranked number three. Yeah, when you can really tell it uh, with the announcers announcing the games, they really do run out of stuff to talk about very early on in the first half. Uh, this past game, whether it be, like I mentioned, that uh, Trevor Lawrence's lookalike and also <laughs> just constantly talking about... Um, and to be fair, this was a big point that Wake Forest was down so many guys, including uh, Surratt, their leading wide receiver, one of the best receivers in the ACC. But... Uh, Man, they're just trying to fill airtime these days because there's not a lot to talk about as, as far as the game on the field is concerned. Yeah, well, well, two things there. I keep thinking, like, I wonder, I'm sure these games were slotted uh, in advance, but I, I'm thinking Clemson probably still draw, draws really good ratings. I mean, I, I would think if it's Ohio State, even if they're playing Kansas, I'm, I'm going to watch it. So I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that it, just the draw of Clemson, I mean, those SEC games, those, that CBS slot around at 430, that's going to be the one uh, that, that everyone's going to watch. But aside from that, it's, getting Clemson's a pretty good draw. And then the second thing was Dan Orlovsky, who super, did you super positive, and I, I kind of like him. I think he's pretty good with his football analysis. But he was talking about his, kind of reflecting on his, his, his experience on the Hill and he was saying, you know, aside from my kids being born and marrying my wife, he's right, he's right up there. And I'm like, God. Well, he qualified that secondly. He first said that, um, that, that running down the hill is one of the greatest moments of his, of his life, in addition to his marriage and his kids. <laughs> and this is, this is a, like a, a, a foggy game against Wake Forest in November. Like, God, don't go to a Notre Dame game at home in Death Valley. No. Um, but it's kind of cool that they're bringing all these new announcers through who have like their first time coming into Clemson and kind of being able to see all the pageantry, the excitement, the atmosphere in the stadium. And then just, you know, the, the tradition, you know, and just speaking on that tradition, I mean, you know, first Clemson ends up in that, in that time slot. So ABC can try to salvage some sort of uh, ratings with Georgia Auburn going on at the same time. But you know, over the years, you've had the, the media focus on uh, the, the team's interests and the running down the hill. And lately, a couple things in the last two games I've noticed is them really focusing on the alma mater. Uh, in the game uh, prior to Wake, it was, um, you know, was Wofford. 
Uh, yeah, NC State at NC State showing all the players going over at the end of the game on the road going uh, to the corner of the stands where all the Clemson faithful are at and, you know, just arm in arm singing, uh, singing the uh, alma mater, which is a really, really cool thing to see. I love how Davo um, makes sure they all learn that. Uh, but then at the, uh, the end of the game against Wake Forest and finally I heard an announcer before it happened be like, now listen, this is a Clemson tradition. Win or lose, they meet at the paw in the center of the field and sing the alma mater. Um, we used to have every pundit out there getting after us over a, a, after a big win like that and then and the crowd rushing the field, but that's our tradition. Um, but just cool the to see... Patrick's of the world. Yeah, but just cool to see them focusing on that and the overhead shot of everybody on the field and again, the singing of the alma mater. Just really cool stuff. Clemson could not be buying better press right now. Um, a lot better press than our... Uh, our friends down in the middle of the state are getting right now. Yeah. Despite playing in, in the much lesser conference, which, which I agree there. Um, but yeah, getting these primetime slots, Dabo, just, you see him at the beginning of the game at the top of the Hill, he does everything he can. I mean, you can't see that, see him behind the scenes. God, only if you could, if you could even be a fly on the wall, if they did some type of um, what's the HBO show hard knocks for, for Clemson, I would be really interested to see uh, what he does, but it seems like he's putting a lot just to keep everybody pumped up and, I mean, doing all you can when you're playing these lesser foes. Yeah, and the, the funny thing is, um, it seems to me over the years that the team has actually started running down the hill slower in general, yet Dabo has not lost a step. <laughs> I was thinking, like, you know, I hope he grows old at Clemson and stays here until he retires or until he goes to the old folks' home. But, yeah, at some point, he's going to have to, you know, he's got to slow it down running down the hill. Can you imagine the get-back coach, um, get-back guy uh, wheeling Dabo down on the wheelchair? Just, just throwing him on his back. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe, that, maybe that'll be Venables. <laughs> I hope, man. I hope they're both here. Love the old folks home. <laughs> oh, man, good stuff. Um, well, you know, you got you to gotta kind of look for these, uh, these moments to get excited and, and, and talk about as we kind of uh, drag through the, the middle of the schedule. I mentioned it. Uh, previously, I, I think after about five or six games into the season, you start looking ahead to the playoffs and realizing how far away they are. And you know, to a lot of teams right now, um, most would be looking at their schedule and be like, man, we've only got two regular season games left. The season's almost over. But to us, it feels like it's just about to begin. It really does. Yeah, I heard, I caught, caught that comment in your last episode with Tully. And it's true. I mean, this, it's, it wasn't like this five years ago. It wasn't like this six years ago. And heck, even if you look back two years ago, I was thinking about this as, we were playing this rugged schedule, you know, and I, I say that kind of facetiously. We, we had a tough schedule in 17. That was when we played like Lamar Jackson. Virginia Tech was a top 25 team. Uh, we played Auburn to begin the year, who was a good team um, and went on to do some, some pretty good things. But, man, we were getting a ton of credit for going through a slew of like fringe top 25 teams. And, I mean, this year we're, you know, the competition's a little bit worse, but it's just like – it's getting uh, we're, our our team's better for one, and it's just getting kind of I don't want to say boring because I love Clemson football, but I, I think I'm ready for championship phase. I'll say that. Yeah, well, the thing that's different is, like I mentioned at the top of the show, um, four straight wins of 45 points or more. We've been scoring over 50 several times this season. Um, I mean, they're just flat out blowouts by the end of the first half. Right, the, and it really is. The team is is that good on both sides of the ball. I mean, we'll talk about this a little bit later where we think the, the team uh, stacks up, but 
you know, 16, 2016, the first championship, you know, we played NC State close. We played, we lost to Pitt. Those two, those teams were probably, both of those teams were probably better, better than anyone on our ACC schedule, but not by a lot. It was just that we were susceptible to a, a loss. And granted, we, were, we almost lost to North Carolina this year, but we were susceptible more so that, that year than we are, than, than we have been the last couple of years. Yeah, you've really seen this program ascend from, you know, kind of being on the fringe on the outside looking in, almost being uh, an elite team to crossing that threshold and becoming a, an elite team to now we're staring down a dynasty. Honestly, if we win it this year, some people may argue that you can already consider this Clemson program a dynasty, uh, considering what they've done over the last four years. But, you know, I think I'd want to see another championship before that happens. Um, you know, to compare us to Alabama or, say, uh, the New England Patriots in the NFL. Uh, but, you know, we're getting there, and it's, it's, it's really cool to be able to sit here and look back and reflect on those things and remember those prior seasons and some of those struggles. But it also makes me realize, like, we're not out of place or arrogant when we're just sitting here and they rank Clemson five, and we're like, you got to be kidding me. You think Penn State's better than Clemson? Clemson would annihilate Penn State. Um, it's just the fact of the matter. It's true. We know what we're seeing. Um, and we've seen this build from year to year to year. You're bringing back almost the entire offense from last year that had Trevor Lawrence and all those wide receivers and the best running back in college football and Travis Etienne. And the defense hasn't missed a beat. Like, I'm sorry. Like this is a really, really good football team. And there are maybe two, three teams that compete with them right now. And two of them are ranked, uh, and, and legitimately. So two of them are ranked ahead of us in the, in the polls. Yeah. I mean, it, to, to your point, I, I feel like the eye test, they, they try to throw that out in the rankings and the playoff committee's rankings and, and, you know, good for them. I'm glad that they're looking off of merit this year alone. And I think that's good for the, the, the teams coming up. It was good for Clemson in 2015. And we might be back in that position again, where we're on the outside looking in. I, I like that, but I think it was Tiger illustrated, maybe Larry Williams who said something about there's the eye test. There's also the common sense test. Right. And it's like, I mean, come on, Penn state, Clemson, at some point, just watch Clemson. And, and I know you're not supposed to take last year into account. and You don't have to if, when you're judging our body of work. But from a common sense standpoint, it's the same damn offense. It's the same damn players. They're a year older. The quarterback is a year older. Like, they're, they're, what, what do you think they are? Do you think they're fake? They're playing better now at this point in the season than they were at this time last year. Yeah. Do you, I mean, you think they're playing better offensively than they were? I think so. You can make the argument. You can make I mean, the argument defensively. They're playing better than they were this time last year. Yeah, maybe. I think uh, some of the defense's numbers do, in fact, um, or have, in fact, benefited from the the schedule being a little bit weaker this year. It's it's really hard for me to say that a defense is playing better than that defense did last year. At least until I see us play, start to play some better competition. But I mean, just look, I mean, you, you look at Travis Etienne, you ask yourself, how could he have gotten better? Well, he gotten better in the passing game and uh, uh, receiving the ball. That's been amazing. Um, so it's these little things that these guys just keep on approving on helping with their NFL draft stock and everything and uh, putting a little, uh, the finishing touches, the final polish on the product that they are before they head off to, to make it a profession. Yeah, it's it, in like you, you talked about the dynasty. I, I like all that when I when it's off season. Right now, all I care about is this 2019 team, though. That's all, and I am enjoying, even though it's not great competition, not great games. I'm enjoying watching. Well, for one, the defense. We've talked ad 
him about how fun it is to watch the defense on the back end and all the things Venable's doing without the, the stellar front four. But now the offense coming along, Trevor Lawrence's development and, and, and Travis Etienne, T. Higgins, like these are these are all. Um, let me hot, hot take here. Maybe three of the best, the, the best, if not the best players at their position in Clemson history. They have, all have an argument for that. Um, so that's, I mean, that's something just there. Yeah, yeah, and I totally agree with you. It's we really have to when you're us, we really have to live in the moment and appreciate the things that we have right now because it is college. Um, you know, guys are going to move on to the NFL or graduate. Um, but to your point, I could just watch Isaiah Simmons and Tanner Muse tackle people all day long. I could watch ETN just run through defenders all day long. It's, it's a, it is a lot of fun watching that. That never gets old. So, Cody, let's flip it over to the rankings here. As I mentioned, the, uh, the third installment has come out earlier this evening. Really, nothing unexpected from the top. I don't know, eight, LSU, Ohio State, Clemson in that order. I don't think anybody expected that to change after this past weekend. Um, Georgia gets a close win over Auburn, 21-14. to 14. They hop Alabama uh, to move into that number four position. I made an argument last time on how uh, three SEC teams could possibly make it into the college football playoff. I have to think that uh, that's become much less likely now with the unfortunate injury, uh, season-ending injury to Tua. Yeah, I think so. And they're the, I mean, would you agree? They're the only uh, kind of argument uh, or they're the only, I guess, number, them being ranked number five is anything you could take issue, is the only thing you could take issue with because I think everything else looks about the same. Um, I'm actually, I'm okay, <clears throat> okay with them being number five right now just because I think kind of the burden of proof um, is is on the next game, I guess, for, for, for the, the committee to decide how far back they should really be. Maybe their backup quarterback comes in and, and blows off, blows the top off of Auburn's defense. Probably not, but if so, I think they they might actually deserve that number five ranking. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, still two two games for some teams, uh, three for others who are going to end up in a conference championship game left in the season, and a lot can be determined even in that uh, small handful of games. I really, gosh, I can't see a scenario though where a one loss Pac twelve team. Uh, Pac-12 champion does not get in over Alabama at this point. We know Georgia is likely going to lose to Louisiana State in the SEC championship game just based on what we've seen and how we've seen LSU play. So uh, the theory would have it that they get knocked out. Uh, But I just, you know, the committee has said in the past as part of their criteria, they do take injuries into consideration. Really didn't seem like they took it much into consideration after this game. I think Georgia probably would have hopped Alabama whether or not Tua goes down just because that is a win over a ranked team. Um, but it'll be interesting how uh, to see how they treat that moving forward. Yeah. Well, you know, one thing you can account, like if you want to talk about Oregon is the injuries they had at wide receiver against Auburn in the opening game. I think they were out there without their top two receivers, maybe. Um, and that, I mean, that played a huge factor. It was a one possession game. So there's that. Um, I, I think ultimately though, whoever wins out of the PAC 12 will, will jump bam though, by virtue of the conference championship. Yeah. And, can and, make- listen, and those are two really good teams. I mean, there's going to be two one-loss teams playing in that championship game in Oregon and Utah, and they're sitting right there at six and seven. Like you can't, you can't sh- like you got to consider that a good win. I don't know how they they yeah. could not put a lot of weight into that. No, no, that's that's true. And well, 
One thing, I, I, one observation I had was about Oregon, and we we kind of everyone assumes that they'll lose to LSU. Or at least they're they're not favored in the SEC championship game, nor should they be. Texas A&M uh, goes to Athens this week, and that's favorable for Georgia. But that's a team that could beat them. It's a team that's talented enough. Um, and Georgia's having trouble scoring points, and they have had trouble this season. Uh, you know, one actually one comparison I've heard of their team is to. The 2000, like Kirby Smart's trying to build 2011 Alabama, and he's successfully done it. The only problem is, like, that's an outdated style of football. Right. Um, Because there's just no offense, and there's teams that have evolved and they're playing much better, namely, you know, Clemson, LSU, and Ohio State. So that, that's really interesting about, about Kirby. We could probably talk more about him, but I'll, I'll save it. Um, they could lose at AM, was, was kind of my point, in which case, I don't know what happens from there. I guess that opens the floodgates for. Um, a whole slew of one-loss teams. Well, AM did beat South Carolina over the weekend, and we know who Georgia lost to. <laughs> so, so there's that for you. Um, speaking, I guess, kind of going back to the top here, speaking of LSU, um, offensively, another great weekend for, for Joe Burrow on that offense. He had almost 500 yards passing with five touchdowns. Did have two interceptions, though. But let's take a look at that LSU defense, which has been suspect all year long and um, is kind of the thing that Clemson fans are putting their finger on as to the weakness of this team where Clemson can really um, take advantage of them. Ole Miss put up 614 yards of total offense, including 402 rushing. Um, If Ole Miss is putting up 402 rushing yards on LSU, Travis Etienne might go for 400 himself. That is something to, to circle. I mean, there's been a lot of talk about LSU's offense. Whenever there's the move towards an up-tempo offense that can score, that's kind of quick strike, much like 2011 Clemson, it puts a huge, huge toll on your defense. And even though there's talent on LSU's defense, it seems like there's just this correction period where they haven't adjusted. Um, that said, you, 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 you hit it on the head with their, their running, um, their, their defense against the run. It's very poor doesn't bode well for them actually against Georgia. Um, I, I, th- I think they're going to beat Georgia, but that'll be something to watch. If, if, they can, if Georgia can run all over them, control clock, keep the ball out of Joe, Joe Burrow's hand, uh, it, could, it could be a game. And even if they don't pull it out, then that's, I, I think that puts LSU um, kind of a notch below maybe Clemson and Ohio State. Yeah, well, Georgia has kind of been underwhelming running the ball this year in their own right. So we'll see how that goes in, in their game against Auburn this weekend. They only managed about 250 yards of total offense um, at nine three and outs in that game and three of 15 on third down. So that's not a good look. I know Auburn's a good defense. That's the best thing going for Auburn. Um, and also circled that Alabama-Auburn game at the end of the year because now with Tua going down, that actually gives Auburn a really good chance. I know Bo Nix is not the greatest quarterback in the world at this point in his career. But, you know, we've seen him beat Oregon. He's competent enough to get the job done, um, especially against a defense that is kind of lacking. And you kind of take away some of the offensive edge for Alabama going against Auburn's really good defense, and could be an upset there. It, it could be. And, I mean, I don't know what that ultimately means for the playoff rankings. I, I guess I guess Oregon's probably the biggest Auburn fans right now, but uh, but yeah, I, I think you're 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 right about Georgia though. That's that is that's crazy that they've fallen off um, so quickly. I mean, Auburn is a good defense, but man, Jake Fromm in his third year, and this is the best that Kirby Smart's able to get out of him. That's 
I'm sure Trevor Lawrence looks over into Athens. He's like, glad, a good decision to go to Clemson. I mean, among other reasons, but uh, particularly that. Yeah, and we we talked about Texas A&M. Tully called them uh, last time the Kevin Bacon of college football. And <laughs> I tend to agree. You're you're looking here, and they've uh, Georgia has them this weekend at home, and then LSU has them at home to finish off the regular season. So it'll be interesting. Texas A&M could uh, kind of throw a throw a wrench in things. Yeah, no, I, I would love to see them make some, make for some chaos. And I mean. And you look at them, they've got a bad team. No, they've only got three losses this year. A, a loss to Clemson, a loss at home to Auburn, uh, a loss at home to Alabama. So, I mean, those are, if you're talking about good losses, those are three really good losses. They haven't beaten anybody exceptional at all. Uh, some out-of-conference wins over a uh, group of five FCS teams, and then Arkansas, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, and South Carolina. So the resume as far as their wins is not that great, but at least their losses are, you know, to pretty good teams. Yeah. Well, let me, you know, kind of pivot that to something. If A&M played Wisconsin's schedule, Wisconsin's got two losses on the year, but if they played Wisconsin's schedule and they lost to OSU, they lost to Illinois, um, their big wins were Michigan State and Michigan and Iowa, I suppose. Does a and not also go 8-2, and two, if not 9-1, and one against that same schedule? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, the Big Ten is, is very weak. Uh, you, you saw that in Penn State's loss to Minnesota. You saw that in Minnesota's loss to, uh, to Iowa over the weekend. Although Iowa's a good team, it's hard to play there. They're ranked 20, uh, they were ranked 23 at the time. Uh, Wisconsin, uh, them being ranked as high as they were, top 10, uh, early on in the season, that obviously... Uh, was a little inflated uh, based on their schedule. We've seen, again, you mentioned the loss to Illinois and the blowout by Ohio State. So the Big Ten is a lot like the ACC, in my opinion, where there's Ohio State at the top and then a long way to go before anybody else. Right. The the difference between the Big Ten and the ACC is just there's there's some name brands that have a little bit more viability, only from per, a perception standpoint. Yeah. Who was, guess who Iowa's big win was this this year before they beat you know, number eight, Minnesota, who's, you know, say what you want about that. Iowa's big win is probably against Indiana. <laughs> no, they didn't even, no, not even Indiana. It was actually Iowa State. That was their big win, 18 oh, to 17. That's a good win. Uh, Iowa State, um, no, they're not ranked. They lost to Michigan. They lost to Penn State. They have no other good wins, like none. And so I guess my point being, these teams are getting propped up. Because they're not beating anyone, and they're playing a couple of name brand schools like Michigan, and I suppose that's a good loss to, to lose ten three. Um, but anyhow, I you know we talked about it a little bit off off air, and it, the difference between the number fifteen team Wisconsin say and like the number fifty team, which is North Carolina right now, it's just not a large gap. It's very right. it's actually very small. There's a much larger gap between Clemson and that fifteen team versus 15th and 50. Yeah, there should really be a whole playoff system for teams five through 130, whatever, <laughs> and then one for the top four. Like March Madness? Well, kind of like they were, yeah, it's like the NIT. <laughs> be the NIT of college football for all, the other, all these other uh, teams whining about not getting in when, you know, if you're the four team in, you're probably going to get blown out, unless you're Alabama from a couple years ago. Um, uh, so uh, 
you mentioned not a lot of other surprises here, maybe, or a lot to talk about here in the college football, college football playoff rankings. I will say, though, I find it odd that Penn State is ranked number eight and Minnesota is ranked number 10, both sitting at nine and one with Minnesota with the head-to-head victory. Yeah, well, let's examine that. I mean, you can see the, the through line for the committee. You can, you can see their logic. You can argue with their logic. You can argue with their rationale, but you, you kind of see what it is. Um, I mean, I get, I get the head-to-head. I mean, I, I know where you're going with that. But I guess Penn State has looked more convincing. They've used the eye test. They've used advanced metrics. And they do, Penn State does have some good wins. By a good win in the Big Ten, it gets you like twice as many points as a good win in the ACC. Um, there's not really good wins in either conference, to be honest, but you do get twice the credit. Because they beat Iowa, they beat Michigan, M- Michigan State, and Indiana. Yeah, let's not talk about Michigan State. Um, Indiana was ranked in the AP this past uh, week when they beat them. I'll give you at Iowa. That's uh, um, Minnesota just lost at Iowa. Uh, they did only win by seven to Pitt. I don't know how we're judging that. I think the right. committee. I think the committee mentioned that was a good win. I don't know how you consider that a good win. Um, <clears throat> if it was Clemson, it would have been a bad win. Um, but yeah, there's. It just on the surface, it seems obvious that you can't have Penn State ranked ahead of Minnesota. What happens on the field head to head has to matter. Right. Ultimately, yeah. You, you, I mean, I, I get the body of work, but it's got to matter. Um, that said, Minnesota doesn't have a good win aside from Penn State. That's their only good win. You got to give it to them, though. I mean, I'm sorry. And it was two weeks ago. I mean, they have they played no one, Ben. No one. I, well, I'm just going to rattle it off. Ma- Maryland, horrible. Rutgers, horrible. Nebraska, really bad. Illinois, Purdue, Georgia Southern, Fresno, San Diego State. No one. That's that's a whole like Wake Forest, probably yeah. Louisville. It sounds mean, like it sounds like our schedule. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, why are we talking about this? Neither of them are going to make the playoffs. It's just, it's all perception. And I'm not saying that like, but I guess it's, it's all good. If we were just doing eye test only, it'd be like, Hey, here, Hey, here, here let's see the craziness of, of one's bias. Um, hopefully they would cancel each other out uh, within the context of a larger committee. That's the hope. But man, like they're holding true to their logic and their rationale. Well, I think Minnesota's one loss probably maybe squarely puts them out of the playoff. I think Penn state still has an opportunity. They have Ohio state this weekend. I expect them to get, beat pretty badly but should they pull out a victory there they could face up against minnesota again in the big 10 championship and get some redemption and sneak their way back into the playoff uh into the top four depending on what else happens above them wouldn't we love that i'll take it yeah um let's talk about the big 12 here for a second oklahoma uh, ends Baylor's undefeated bid, uh, bid beating them 34-31. to 31. Oklahoma was down 28-3 at one point in the first half. Uh, ultimately, Baylor went into the half up by 21 points, uh, but they couldn't hold on. It was kind of a, a good story. I think Baylor's uh, well ahead of schedule based on what everybody, uh, where everybody thought they would be after the whole fallout from uh, the Bryles incidents down there. Uh, but does Oklahoma have a shot. We've kind of ridden them off. They've hung around that 9, 10, 11 range for the past several weeks. They will get a conference championship game or whatever they call it in the Big 12. Could they find their way back in? I mean, you look at 
Oregon or Utah is going to lose uh, if if nothing else to each other. One of them is going to lose to the other. Um, so that would knock one of them off. Presumably Penn State will lose. We'll see what Alabama and Georgia, how far they fall. But if Oklahoma wins out, is it possible? They got TCU this weekend and then at Oklahoma State. Neither of those are uh, marquee games. Although Oklahoma State is up to 21 in the polls. Well, I, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, it would be, it would be hard. Their, their losses is, is not very good. I, I don't, you do get some credit for beating Baylor. Georgia's I mean, loss is not very good either. Fair. Um, hmm. Well, I mean, you could, all right. So LSU, Ohio state, Clemson, that only leaves one team. Assuming those top three get in. I think you, you go with the PAC 12 team over potentially Georgia um, I mean, if Georgia were to win the, the, the conference championship, that's then you probably invite two SEC teams. Otherwise, I think you're only getting one in the way it looks right now, and I think it is that Pac-12 team. Yeah, well, the fun part about it is, is we do have two weeks left in the regular season, and we do have the conference championship games, and you can still make an argument for a lot of the teams in the top 10 of how they could uh, find a path to get in. So it's fun that that aspect of it is interesting, and nothing is written in stone really until the last weekend of the season. Right. This has been one of the better years, I think, where there's been more teams buying. And, 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 and I, I'd even say we don't know clearly who the championship uh, – we, we don't know one through, say, four or five. Everyone in the, in the field will have a chance to win it, whereas I, I did not feel that way in previous years. Yeah. Um, I'd like to point this out, that the SEC has the, the highest-ranked no-loss team, the highest-ranked one-loss team, the highest-ranked two-loss team, and the highest-ranked three-loss team. Yeah. Bias? Yeah. Well, let me do some alternative reality. Bo Nix doesn't make that pass against Auburn, or against Oregon, excuse me. Oregon beats Auburn. And then on the, on the other side of that, Miami pulls the upset against Florida to open the season. Does that change the, the perception of things? Changes everything. Absolutely. You would think, you would hope. They were both like, I think three or four point games. I mean, they were close. Completely changed the trajectory of the season. At the same time. I mean, you know, what could have been, it's also the first game of the season. We know teams look at Clemson that teams, a lot of teams and the best teams are not the same version of themselves in the first game of the season as they are at the end of the season. Right. But even so, I guess my thing would be, that was a both of those games were coin flips. Uh, the fact that they won was, I mean, that both teams won was more or less happenstance. So Florida's still sitting there at, at number 11, and in and, and Oregon, uh, sitting there at six. The SEC West is propped up by uh, by Auburn. Yeah, um, they get credit both for beating and for losing to each other, right. Right. You kind of move up as a collective. And then in the ACC's case, you actually move down as a collective when you beat up on each other. <laughs> when you win by 45 points, you drop a spot. Yeah. Whatever. It's what we call motivation. Oh, well. So, hey, the best quarterback in college football uh, is no longer playing college football. And that's too bad. That's too a tug of loa. Um, it's, it's too bad that he's gone. Um, I, I really think – I looked at some of the, his numbers. I think his, his completion percentage – I could get the strongest. I'm not looking at it. It was like 70%. It's one of the best of all time. And then his, his percentage of passes for touchdown was 12%. The next person in college football, I think, was 9%. 
he's one of the best college football quarterbacks of all time, even though he only had a year and a half ish. Um, so I, I still hold my statement on him being the best quarterback in college football this year. Yeah. And we're not going to be able to really, uh, close out that argument because he did get injured and that's such an unfortunate situation for him. Uh, he's a good kid, wished him all the best of luck and with a speedy recovery. And I hope it doesn't affect his, uh, NFL draft position too much because, uh, that, that kid is deserving of all the praise that he gets. Um, it does suck to see him uh to leave and it sucks for me for Alabama because I want to see I want to see these teams be able to compete at full strength you never want to um you know you never want these teams to drop or teams to lose because they're they've lost players right especially a player that is as good as Tua is um so I don't really get all the criticism of Nick Saban for having him in there you know if that was some other guy, uh, some other starter on the team, would there have been as much hoopla about that? I mentioned it uh, last time, talked about Clemson and why we're playing guys into the second half, and it's because we got to get these guys playing time and, and get these guys reps. I do understand that Tua was coming off of that ankle surgery, but it wasn't his ankle that was hurt. It was his hip. So I really don't get all the, uh, all the grief given to Nick Saban on that one. Yeah, I mean, it's just uh, just collective outrage, and which I, don't, I think all the reasonable binds have pretty much come to the consensus that – Hey, it's it's okay that he was in the game. So that aside, you're right. It stinks. It stinks to see who I think is still, despite losing to LSU, which I, I don't I don't don't believe I got to speak speak um, on this because it was because uh, last week they they played. Tua was hurt against LSU, and that made all the difference. Well, and it's not even necessarily that. I and mean, yeah, he's probably still a little bit sore, but he was also rusty. He hadn't played in a few weeks. Right, right. Well, that's that's what I mean. He just did not look like himself. And uh, hey, neither defense looked great, but I, I think they would have they would have been in a much different position if if Tua would have been himself. And and you know, all that's to say that, that I still think they're one of the best teams in college football if Tua's playing. Um, and LSU has some warts. I, I think really, if you look at a healthy Alabama with Tua, almost them and LSU are carbon copies of themselves. No, they, they do copies of each other. Right. They, they, they're actually for Alabama. It's, it's one of the less, I don't want to say disciplined. It looks like one of the, like, doesn't look a saving coach team or it hasn't this year. So you can say, and, and all that means is there's usually a ton of discipline, um, you know, sound gap assignment, football, those sorts of thing on defense. You just haven't seen that as much this season. So you're right. They actually do look very similar. Yeah, it's interesting. We've been talking about, you've heard chatter in the last several years about the torch possibly being passed from Saban to Dabo as uh, the best coach in college football. And, you know, at first you think, okay, that may be a little bit premature to talk about. Uh, Nick Saban is still a really good coach. He still keeps producing really great Alabama football teams. Uh, but, you know, you see this going for a couple of years and you see, yeah, they've gotten better with their offensive philosophy. The defense has really taken a big step back and you, do, you don't stop to wonder if the college game is kind of getting away from him and moving on from him. And if we are in that period where we actually are seeing the decline of Nick Saban. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think so because I, I follow recruiting and you just, it's like, just follow the, follow the money. And I mean, I mean that metaphorically follow the recruits and they're still pumping out top classes. Um, you're just, the margin for error is so high. So I still think they're going to be right there every year until they, until they fall off in recruiting. And that's just, that's not happening. He's uh, he's got that Affleck. It, it might be his, uh, 
his retirement plan. He's got, well, he's got the Mercedes Benz uh, dealership. I don't know. I don't know if it's just one or if it's multiple, but I mean, just think of that, like all these Bama boosters who, you know, they, I don't know, they're probably semi-wealthy and they, they go to buy Mercedes just to buy it from Saban. What would you buy from Dabo? What, what, well, what manufacturer would he, what kind of car dealership would Dabo had if he, if he had one? Well, it's got to be like a VW bus or something like that with the Roy bus or <laughs> oh, God. Um, Prius. I don't know. It had to be something that people don't respect. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yes, exactly. Kia. He would, he would turn a Kia a lot. Into the, the yeah, yeah. I think Kias have gotten better over the years. Uh, they've been stepping up their game. I don't know. I might they, be on Prius. They have. I mean, they're a sleeping giant. Uh, they, and he would have a chip on his shoulder, and he'd turn Kia into the top-selling car in South Carolina. Yeah, maybe smart cars. Everybody makes fun of those. Sure. Um, okay, so we've been rambling on here about who knows what. Uh, you want to talk some Clemson football? Yeah. All right, let's get into the Wake Forest game. Okay, as I mentioned at the top of the show, it was a 52-3 to Clemson victory over Wake Forest over the weekend. This game would have looked a, much, uh, a lot different had Wake Forest not been down uh, those two wide receivers and their starting middle linebacker. It is unfortunate that when we have to play teams that are missing these key guys, very similar with NC State, missing 11 starters coming into that game. These teams just are not built to withstand injuries uh, like Clemson is, so... When you have key guys like that go down um, at key positions, it really makes a huge difference. Agreed. Uh, agreed on that. I mean, I don't think this score. I don't. I don't think Wake Forest ekes out just three points. That said, I, 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 I don't think they were getting a whole lot of daylight. Their their receivers weren't getting a ton of separation. Newman had no idea what was going on with Venables' coverages and the and the mixed looks. I don't know that the score looks a lot different. Um, and I mean, it's fair for you to, to, to consider that those receivers are gone. I'm just, I don't see that the score is widely different uh, if they're playing. Yeah, but like Scotty Washington's like a 6'5 receiver. Surratt's a, seems like a pretty tall guy. I don't know exactly his measurables, but, you know, those are big bodies to be missing out of there. I, I don't know what their second, third, and fourth string wide receivers are, but surely they're not that. No, I, I totally get it. I just, and I think they probably make a few plays, which leads to a couple scores. Um, but ultimately, I mean, they the credit to what we were doing along the defensive line. Xavier Thomas seems to have taken his game up. I, I watched him a lot. Um, just it was it was fun. I mean, he's always played with a great motor. He seems to be playing with a little bit more intelligence. Um, and God, he's really got after the quarterback. All that to say, I, I ultimately they we're going to make wreak havoc in the in the backfield and. and um, there weren't going to be a lot. There wasn't going to be a lot of time for him to throw. Yeah, he really didn't look. You know, you heard a lot of people coming into this game and throughout the season talking about even at the beginning of the season talking about how good of a quarterback Jamie Newman is can do things with his arms and with his legs. Um, but really didn't see that in this game. He did not look like an NFL caliber quarterback. No, I mean it, it's too bad. I have seen him in games where he gets plenty of time in the pocket, and he. I mean, he is a he's a pretty good pass uh, passer. I mean. He, Six for 14 for 41 yards, two interceptions. I mean, that, I mean, we made him. I mean, look at what we did to Kellen Mon. Mon's not a bad quarterback. I mean, it, 
Venables is just, I mean, again, this is his masterpiece. I'm, I'm so impressed with what the guys in the secondary are able, have been able to do this year. And something I try to key in on as much as you can watching a replay, our corners are, they're making it, they're suffocating receivers. They're not allowing a lot of, a lot of uh, separation, which is hard to see on film. But that's, that's where you get quarterbacks who just don't know what to do when they don't see anything uh, opening up. Yeah, that 6 of 14 stat is pretty phenomenal at 2.2 quarterback rating. Uh, Clemson had, what, two sacks on the day and 10 tackles for loss. <laughs> Some pretty great numbers. And they Did can't even – and even when the backups came in, they couldn't move the ball. Yeah, it, it was uh, – I mean, it just looked ugly. and it, it, it makes you wonder. I mean, it was kind of – it's now Tua had some success against us in the national championship game, but he looked, he did not look like the same player. It's kind of been a continuation since the championship game, what we've done on defense, particularly with what we've done with uh, these different coverages on the back end. And I mean, it just, it really throws college quarterbacks off and that, that really bodes well uh, for our defense. Cause I know you've had some legitimate concerns about our, our run defense, but I think, I think you, that's the one, you know, that's the poison you choose but we can beat you in other areas and, and do enough to stop the run. Well, and the run defense has really improved as the, as the year has gone along, as a lot of these young defensive linemen have, have grown up. And let's, so let's stick it with the defense here to kick this off. Um, they're the first team this century to hold the first 11 opponents under 300 yards. I will say that it's a bit misleading uh, fact because Ohio State has also, I think, held all 10 of their opponents this year to under 300 yards. And that does not get mentioned a, a lot when – when we throw that out there. So I just want to have that there for comparison. Ohio state is doing a really damn good job on defense uh, this year as well. But that in and of itself is an incredible stat and weight came into the game, averaging over 487 yards of, uh, of offense a game and only 105 in this one. They had more three and outs seven than Clemson had first downs allowed at five. Yeah. I mean, you, you just said it like their average was what coming into this game? 47. It was 47. 487. 480. Okay, right. So, like, you know, you, you see everyone that goes through, and I've heard a lot of national media, I've been listening to a lot of national podcasts, and they just they write these wins off. Like, uh, they haven't really played anybody yet. They haven't gotten that test. But we've been here before. And I only mean that in the sense is we've been here before, so we know how to measure this a little bit better. We know how to grade on the curve or, or handicap our team. When you dominate offenses that, that have been this successful against other college football teams, you got something like there's something there and, and it's probably going to work even against elite competition. You're not going to suffocate these dominant teams or these elite teams, the way that we're suffocating Wake Forest, but you're going to have a pretty good defense. and You're going to get stops. Yeah. And you know, we're what 10, 11 games into the season for some teams. And so it's not like the beginning of the year where let's say Wake Forest doesn't have tape on Clemson's uh, new look defense with the three-man front formations and, and, and all that, you know, they know what to expect for Clemson, and they've been putting up numbers all year long and just, man, ran into a brick wall on this one. Yeah, and, you know, what was it with the mesh thing? Yeah, the, the, the delayed handoffs. Or, yeah, the delayed handoffs, yeah. Yeah, well, right at the, me the mesh song, yeah. Yeah, they were really dragging out that, that mesh point uh, really to freeze whatever safety may be coming up to defend the run because Clemson has been using their safeties and Isaiah Simmons a lot, uh, bringing them up and run, run defense and blitz packages this year. And, you know, maybe it would have worked better if Newman pulled it and threw it from time to time. I mean, you had, 
you know, the linemen were still, you know, pretty close to the line of scrimmage. It wouldn't have been uh, illegal man downfield. So just kind of interesting to see that he never pulled it and tossed the ball when they were just constantly doing that over and over again and really not getting much out of it. Yeah. Did you catch Xavier Thomas, who one time he just, yeah, he forego, he, he, uh, he threw aside his assignment and just tackled the running back. Yeah. That was the, that was the greatest non tackle I've ever seen. <laughs> it's like, they're probably not going to do this anymore because Xavier Thomas just killed the running back. Yeah. We're just killing guys, hitting guys without the ball. You know, you're <laughs> not, you're never safe on the field if you're a, if you're on offense against the Clemson defense. Yeah. But no, it, you know, talk to talk of the defense, it, it was a, it was a great job, and like you just take little kernels of things here and there throughout the season, and you can't take a lot. But I think when you do play an offense that has been, you know, consistently successful throughout the year, with or without their top two receivers, and to just make them look like like an FCS team, like they had never played football before, right? Like it's a pretty good defense. I yeah. mean, yeah. And they wouldn't have scored uh, had Spires not fumbled that, that, that snap on the punt. Right. So it would have been a shutout. And by the way, after Amari Rogers' first punt return, I'm like, hey, we're going to move our way up in the S&P Plus uh, ratings for special teams because we're abysmal so far this year. And then Spires muffed the punt. So then we went right back. Yeah, he had a really bad day actually punting the ball too, averaging only 36 yards. So those, those kind of short high kicks – uh, kind of crept back into his arsenal in this game. Really hate to see that. But uh, hey, Sawicki had like freaking average 50 yards, over 50 yards a punt or something like that, kicking just those low end-over-end line drives. Yeah, I don't know if that's repeatable, right? If if opponents see him on the field. I, I don't know how, yeah. But yeah, Spire's not so, not so hot, I'll say. Um, Back to the defense, I, I don't really – you know, this game I couldn't learn a lot. I, I tried to watch linebackers, and there were, there's a lot of blitzes going on. I, I didn't really take a lot from the, def, um, from the defense. So much was happening at the line of scrimmage. That's why I did notice uh, Xavier Thomas. And, and K.J. Henry, his counterpart on the other end, I, I, I really see, – I've seen them both come along this season. I think ultimately K.J. Henry has to put on a little bit more muscle. Yeah. I see him get pulled, like pushed around a little bit. And I think he'll get there. That frame just got so much, uh, so much. He has so much more to go there. But I'm really excited about both of those guys for next season. Yeah, and you're right. When you only give up 105 yards of of offense, and the only scoring is a field goal when the opposing offense was handed a short field, there's not a lot to really take out of it, except for kind of some of those big fun plays you mentioned. Uh, the Xavier Thomas hit on the running back. Uh, Tanner Muse had that nice interception and then had a giant sack uh, of the quarterback later on. Uh, that was really cool to see. Uh, he's had a great season. He, he really has. He is, he is putting himself in, in draft position. Yeah. And he, just another guy, you know, I think I said it a couple episodes ago, he's, he plays the toughest position on the defense, but I, I would, I would contend the way that Venables has used the safeties and, and Isaiah Simmons this year, they all play like the degree of difficulty that they have to, to play with um, is, is let's just say that the freshmen couldn't do it. Um, so I, they all have very, very tough assignments and they're doing such a great job. And, and Muse doesn't seem like, I don't know what his grades are game by game, but I'm thinking he's solid a for uh, consistently. Well, he's always had the tendency to have those big hits. Um, it's, he's had a few interceptions this year, uh, two or three, I believe the one in this game was really good. He read the, per the quarterback perfectly and then came across the, 
to pick that ball out of the air. It's uh, you haven't seen the mental mistakes in the bus from him that we've seen in years past. And it was really nice to hear the announcers in this game. I guess it was Orkloski uh, flat out say that Clemson has the best back seven in college football. Yeah, he, he was, uh, yeah, he was being a little hyperbolic. He also said, you know, also, you know, in addition to the, uh, the, the Hill comment, Travis Etienne, the best running back, best tailback in the country, which that's not so uh, hyperbolic. Well, he also kept mentioning how this weekend was going to be our first bye, and it was really coming at a good time. It's a, it's hard to play 11 games in a row without a bye. Um, we, yeah, just, nobody mentioned him the one we had previously um, <laughs> after the North Carolina game. But, you know, whatever, man, the guy was excited and he was uh, throwing some love to Clemson. So appreciate that. Um, my last kind of takeaway on defense, and again, I'm just kind of looking for the fun things here. A.J. Terrell had that pick before the half, which was awesome for Clemson to get the ball back and go down and score. But uh, I love how he kind of hung around a stiff arm, the wide receiver that, that, that he was manning while that guy was trying to chase him down. He just kind of took a couple swipes, waited for him to come up, and then just gave him the stiff arm and took off. That, that was I, when I saw that in real time. I'm like that. I was laughing, just yeah. laugh. I'm like that's the funniest thing I've ever seen. He literally, it almost looked like he went back and then pushed him, and then and then he's like, hey, before I return this, I've got to, I got to give this guy the stiff arm, give him the business. No, that was that was that was hilarious. Yeah, and then I guess my last takeaways uh, on defense is, I think Clemson really, um, the Clemson defense really helped showcase. Wake Forest punter Don Maggio's leg and him uh, probably uh, making a bid for uh, getting drafted in the NFL. We, hey, we've seen uh, Bradley Pinion come out as a junior as a punter and get drafted. But, uh, man, he averaged 57.7 yards a punt with a long of 66. That kid was booming it. How do you, as a team like Wake, that's as undermanned as they are, going up against Clemson, how do they make it a 17-3 to game? going in, you know, three minutes left in the, in the first half. It's because right. of special teams. Yeah. And we always, we keep running up against these teams that have really good punters. And I guess I keep asking myself, I'm like, why don't we, why, why can't we get a really good punter like that? And I have to think it's because if you're a punter, you're going to go to the school with the crappiest offense. So you get to punt the ball more. Do you think that's in the thinking of a punter? I mean, I, I haven't thought about that, but. I mean, if you have a chance to go to Clemson as a punter and you get a scholarship, I mean, you're going to go to Wake instead. Maybe you do. I, I don't know. But well, it looks like Mr. Maggio did. Yeah. So that wraps up for the defense. Another stellar performance by Brent Venable's group. Uh, let's talk now about another stellar performance on the offense. All right, Cody, you mentioned that this game was 17 to 3 with. Uh, until Clemson scored with 42 seconds left in the half, they ended up going into the half up 31 to three. The offense did sputter a little bit after getting those two quick touchdowns on the first two drives of the game. Um, he had a sequence of punt, punt, field goal, punt. They came back looking poised at the start of the second half, but we would have felt a lot differently going into that half up only 17 to three than we did ultimately when we went into the half up 31 to three with those two late scores. Right. It wasn't, I mean, the ultimate score at halftime, it was at 31-3, like you said. Um, it, it was a, it was kind of sloppy offensively after the first two drives. Uh, there were some couple of busts um, that, that, were, that allowed some of the defensive linemen to get penetration and take Trevor Lawrence out. A couple of, I would say, bad reads 
um, on Trevor Lawrence's part. Now he's doing a much better job and I'll give him all the credit, but there's just, man, he's got the fastball. He's got, he's got the curveball, whatever that is. He just, and he's, he's got the change up, but he just doesn't want to use it. And once he, he becomes a three pitch pitcher, um, he's just going to be unstoppable. The next part of his game is just looking for, for efficiency and looking for the check down or the safety valve, wherever that may be. And once he does that, he just can he's not going to be able, he's not going to be contended with. Yeah. You know, he, he missed that check down to ETN on, I think his last sack on the day. ETN probably should have put a children to the rusher before uh, running out on that route, but it was some, some little bust like that. There was one where someone missed an assignment. There was a sack that is probably on Lynn J. Dixon. Uh, the coaches on the bet better than we are. And then one looked to be a coverage sack, but you know, wake was getting a little bit of a push at times early on, but ultimately the O line kind of shorted up and congratulations to those guys. They got nominated um, for an award honoring uh, the best offensive line in the country. And I can't really remember a Clemson team uh, being a finalist for that. So that's pretty cool. But uh, going back to Trevor Lawrence, you know, we keep bringing up and they bring it up every game, his performance since the first quarter against Louisville, 16 touchdowns and no interceptions is now the current tally. He's been playing absolutely amazing. And, you know, it's the little things that set him apart from other quarterbacks in college football, uh, you know, making throws at guys like, you know, Tua, who you think is the best quarterback in college football, can't make. And and really, there's not a lot of NFL quarterbacks who can make a lot of the throws that, that he does. And specifically, his ability to throw the sideline from the opposite hash. He is pinpoint accurate with those and incredible arm strength. Yeah, that, he made the one, I think the one that I know of to Overton uh, across the hash. And the, the reason I like that play so much is it just, you're going to get single coverage every time that far off to the boundary you just can't guard against it. You just, I mean, there's no defense against it. It doesn't matter what team you're playing against. There's a couple other plays, I think in our arsenal, particularly with T Higgins, where he can, he can run a slant. Um, and, and we're probably going to get a few more like crossing routes for him to have some things right in his line of sight. You're not seeing a lot of that on film right now, but yeah, there's, there's some things that he does. And I think uh, when you mix Higgins and I hope, hopefully a healthy Justin Ross, I hope he bounces back. Okay. Um, it's just it's really good matchup advantages that you're not quite seeing a ton of uh, ton of us utilizing at this point in the season, but I think it'll be there in the playoffs. Yeah, once we got Amari Rogers back and started to open up the playbook a little bit, or at least Amari Rogers back at, at at full strength, and you started to see some of those crossing routes, those those throws across the middle open up, and Trevor being accurate with those, and then starting to hit his checkdowns in addition to the, his ability to roll out and throw on the run, not to mention those throws to the opposite hash. You put all these things together, and it's going to be nearly impossible for a defense to stop this offense, even, even Ohio State. Like I think if we go into a national championship game with Ohio State, it, it's probably going to look more like the 2015 uh, Alabama-Clemson game, where teams come in, good defenses, but both offenses put up some points. Agreed. I mean, I think, that, I think that'll be the case as well. And yeah, with the way Etienne's playing, um, I, I have to think they're going to have to, they're going to do a few things to get him out in space. Uh, and, and they're going to drill this into Trevor. He's going to get three weeks, three and a half weeks of preparation. They're going to drill into him. You got to take Etienne in the check down because that's just, that's, that's Spiller. I mean, he's going to do amazing things in the open field. It's not just a, it's not a backup plan. It's a, it's a plan A. And if you, if you can open up enough space with Higgins and Ross downfield, Get it to ETN every time. Yeah, well, and ETN had that one great catch going out of bounds on the sideline where it, it, when I first saw it, I thought he was an actual wide receiver. 
Yeah, he's he's come a long way. And what about uh, J.C. Chalk? Now, not necessarily anything he did, but the plays they schemed up for him. Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a nice little wrinkle. Not a lot of people are expecting that. I'm encouraged to see that Davis Allen is, is starting to get a lot of minutes with the first team. And then let's not forget, we're going to get Braden Galloway for the playoff push. A much, uh, you know, speaking of going over the middle of the field, down the seam, that's the guy you want. I mean, Higgins will be there too. There's going to be some stuff for him. Because yeah. I mean, these five ten cornerbacks just doesn't matter if they have the perfect coverage. You just can't defend T. Higgins uh, across the middle. He's got he's gotten stronger in his hands and his arms, particularly since his freshman season. Yeah, and and, and you talk about you I mean you talk about those weapons. You're really seeing Joe Joe Nagata and Frank Latson continue to come along. It's a great catch by Latson on the TD throw to open up the second half. But then also, I re- I'm really loving to see DeAndre Overton continuing to make plays. He is a bit slow. I will say that, <laughs> but really cool to see him uh, being incorporated uh, as much as he has been into the offense this year. He's been really up there at the top of the uh, the reception chart in the last several games. He tied for the lead in this game with four receptions for 52 yards, but uh, good for him. Uh, again, I keep mentioning guys like him and, and, and Cornell Powell and how much I admire them sticking with this team, even when they've seen guys pass them. And it doesn't seem to affect their their mentality, their attitudes one bit. They go out and play ball. Right. And between Overton and Justin Ross, it's like they're having a competition every game for who can take a defensive back down to the ground and, and blocking. Yeah. So I, I really appreciate that. I, I mean, because they all could be prima donnas, particularly Higgins and, and Ross, but they're not. And they, 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 block, they block for their brothers. And that's, that's a really cool thing. A lot of times they're blocking by us, not even knowing ETN's already passed them. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of Travis, you know, you mentioned a couple of developments. One is his, his pass catching, but man, like a couple of times in this game, he's running guys over going backwards. <laughs> he's developed this new thing. Yeah. Where he, the run, the drive's coming to an end, um, but he's got a, you know, a 5'10, 180 pound DB coming his way. He's like, I'm just going to back in for five more yards. <laughs> yeah, one time into the end zone for his one touchdown run. Yeah. He's, He's he's super strong. It's that lower body strength, man. He is something else. Yeah, and we'll look for that development out of Lynn J. Dixon going into next season because I keep seeing great things out of Lynn J. He had a nice 55-yard catch and run followed by a, a, a nine-yard TD run in this game. And the kid's got it. You know, He's got quickness. He's got speed. His vision's improving. Uh, Quacking Tiger from Shaking the Southland will mention that he does tend to run a bit high, and that is the case. And he can stand up on a little bit more weight, but We've got another good one, uh, good, uh, good one waiting in the wings. I like him. I, I still think, from what I see from him, he needs to be paired with. Uh, I don't want to say an all-purpose or uh, not an all-purpose, but an every down, but kind of a a thunder to his lightning, just because I don't see him running in between the in between the tackles uh, because of his upright stance and and the fact that he's he is kind of he's slight of, of stature, so. Yeah, you run up against a real defensive line. We'll see how that goes. But that's why right. it's all the more important that guys like Mikey Dukes and Ches Malusi are not redshirting this year and they continue to get uh, carries game in and game out because that's going to help develop them from next year when ETN's gone, a guy like Darian Rencher is gone. You will have Bowman, the five-star, coming in who we expect to make an impact right away. But great to get these other guys uh, some playing time so they're prepared to take on a bigger role next year. Right. But for right now, you have Thunder and Lightning and Etienne and, uh, and to have pair him with Lynn J. Dixon. That's a pretty solid duo right there. Stay healthy. 
We'll take it. And Clemson, knock on wood, has been very lucky so far. And that just kind of brings to mind how how great of job the the strength and conditioning and all the athletic trainers have done with this football team over the last several years because we have not been bitten by the injury bug. Part of that is luck. Part of that is uh, maybe the the strength of your competition. But let's not sell those guys short. I think uh, the the job they do has a lot to do with Clemson being able to stay so healthy. Right. So, you know, I didn't, I uh, wasn't on last week for NC State, but when you have that many injuries, when you're ravaged with injuries, now look, I, I get there's bad luck and, and, you know, Clemson can come down with, with some too. But to me, that speaks to something else. It's just, I mean, there, it, it's, it, it's too unlikely for that many players on the same team to get injured. Yeah. It's, it's, well, yeah. It, yeah. And NC State guys were dropping like, fly, like flies during the game. You mentioned they were missing 11 starters coming into the game, but during the game, man, there were three, four guys down the field at the same time. I mean, they, it looks like they may have just resotted the, the grass. That could have been played a factor, but uh, no, it's, I think there is something to be said for the strength and conditioning and, and knock on wood because we did have a couple injuries here. And I will say there's one thing about this team that's a weakness. It's tough to, and you can point to weak, a weakness being injuries for any team. There are a couple of frontline guys on this squad that if we lost, it would our chances of going to the playoffs would or winning the playoff would go down substantially. Substantially, excuse me. Uh, unlike Dexter Lawrence last year, you lost him and you still were a great defense. I don't right. think we had that luxury this season. No, I think he's, if you see a guy like Isaiah Simmons go down, and then obviously Trevor Lawrence and uh, Travis Etienne, those would probably be the the three guys that I would point to. Maybe even a Jackson Carmen at left tackle. Yeah, he, and he's been great. He's been great, um, him and uh, and maybe Xavier Thomas now too. I think he has a chance to be an X factor. No pun intended. Yeah. Well, this just you know the strength and conditioning, the 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 product we're seeing on the field. It just all goes into uh, Dabo's building of this entire program and his fine attention to detail in all aspects of the game and the program building. And you know we're uh, we're reaping the benefit from all that as fans and he certainly is in his uh, bank account. <laughs> yeah. Charlie Whitehurst on, on, t- on Larry Williams podcast, plug in another pod, plug in our, our competition. Um, he did say that when, when Dabo came in as a wide receiver coach, I think that was about 2003. Is that right? Uh, you know, Whitehurst was well ingrained into the program by that point, but he just said, you know, by the time he got to know Dabo, he was different. Like a lot of guys work hard. Some guys have the, uh, the personality because maybe they're a little bit more uh, prone to selling and recruiting. Dabo had both. He could be, you know, he could be a monster. He could be the conscientious type, but he could also be a the charismatic uh, extroverted type. He's man. What a, what a coach. Yeah. He's the total package. And then uh, can't remember if it was Larry Williams or Paul Strelo over at Tiger Illustrated had an article come out today. It was either today or a couple of days ago mentioning how Dabo's ability to recall names um, from people he hasn't seen in years, knowing all the players' parents' names, including their grandparents and stuff like that, that really endears yourself to people and is why he's so likable and why people trust sending their kids uh, to come play under him. So uh, we're, we're fortunate. This is a really cool thing for us to experience as a fan base, and it all starts and ends with Dabo. Agreed. Um, yeah, I mean... If, if we get to three out of four, um, I think we've hit the limit that I was hoping we'd reach three championships. I mean, the statue's already been, been built. It's just, it's waiting to be put up, but yeah, it's, it's been a great run. 
I'm happy with everything up to this point. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it, tomorrow, that's fine. It may be far from over, too. Um, so that wraps it up here for the Wake Forest recap. Uh, again, same old, same old. Uh, it's deja vu all over again, as Yogi Berra would say. But just another great victory for this Clemson Tiger football program. And you're starting to hear less and less about that close win against North Carolina earlier in the season. Okay, before we wrap the show here, let's take a look around the ACC and uh, once again try to predict who Clemson may play in the ACC championship game. Okay, Cody, I am counting that Virginia Pitt, Virginia Tech, and Miami are all still in, in the Coastal Division with two games left to play in the regular season. Um, I guess this is to be expected from the Coastal. This is what we saw last year. I am encouraged, though, by specifically a Virginia Tech team that has really played well lately. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, down, it's down to those four, right? So, you know, I, I really just hope, I hope the best team wins, not to be overly generic, but I, I'd like to see Clemson get tested and, and for them to know that they have to be on their game going in instead of just kind of coasting. And they don't normally do that anyway, but uh, I hope there's a little bit of buildup, a little bit of excitement on the players' part. Yeah, and you, you look at a, a team like Virginia Tech, I mentioned them kind of turning it on here lately. Um, they had a 45 to nothing win against Georgia Tech over the weekend. Um, Virginia Tech ran for 238 yards but had no single rusher over 50 yards. They just had a, a horde of guys in that game uh, get carries. They wrap up the season against Pitt at home and then at Virginia, so they control their own destiny. As far as an ACC slate goes, that is pretty difficult probably as difficult as it gets without Clemson being on there but uh we have a loss to Boston College that opened the season four games in they had a loss to Duke after that they are five and one with just a one point loss at Notre Dame yeah I mean it looks like they were a pretty not so good team to start the season and that loss to Duke was 41 to 10 45 to 10 Four, I'm sorry 45 to 10 almost beat Notre Dame powerhouse Notre Dame and they're, they're coming along. Um, and Justin Fuente, I mean, for all things, he is. He's a good coach. I don't think he, they get quite the talent there in Virginia Tech, but he seems to do, be doing a pretty solid job at this point. So we'll see. Yeah, and they do hold a win over Miami, so they have that to their advantage. Uh, Miami only with Duke left, but does have wins over UV and Pitt, which is why they're still in it. Um, speaking of Pitt, they beat North Carolina in overtime this weekend, 34-27. to their quarterback, Kenny Pickett, who's played better as the year has gone along, uh, over almost 360 yards and a TD, 53 yards rushing and two touchdowns on the ground. Pitt uh, at Virginia Tech versus P BC to, to end the season. So, again, with, with most of these teams, I think Miami is the, uh, the only one that kind of needs uh, maybe some, some help for some other teams. But, you know, Pitt has uh, all the cards in their hand. And then Virginia. They've got Liberty in, at Virginia or against Virginia Tech at home to end the season. So it's really anyone's guess at this point. I still don't know who to pick. Uh, maybe Virginia Tech. They seem to be a little bit hotter hand right now, but UVA has been there all year long. Yeah, they, and they played Notre Dame tough at Notre Dame. Um, but yeah, I um, I don't I, I know it's hard to talk about the ACC Coastal. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we're just mining for. Uh, little interesting nuggets to talk about here, but it's, again, there's so much parody in, in that conference over there. 
um, the top four teams within, you know, really the top three teams have three losses in conference or two losses in conference. Then Miami's at four and three. It's really the, uh, the bottom half of the ACC Atlantic that is maybe a little bit worse. I don't know. There's a lot of mediocre teams in the ACC. Right. Well, you know, I was thinking if you remove for Syracuse, NC State, who's just having an atrocious season, uh, Duke and Georgia Tech, and you just look at the, the remaining teams, like that mid-crust of the ACC is just the same as any mid-crust of any conference, including the Big Ten. Um, but and, and, no, and no one team in the Coastal has been able to get that that one score game so that, you know, such that they're five and one or six and one as opposed to five and two. And then they get the big 23 next to their name. And then we think it's more significant than not having it next to their name. Yeah. Virginia really screwed up with that loss at Louisville, but I will say this, you go back and look at the standings here. Louisville's up to second in the ACC Atlantic. Who saw that coming in Scott Satterfield's first season? Yeah. I mean, he must be, that, that's a, that's a sign of a good coach. If you take what's a, uh, a lineup or a roster that doesn't have a ton of talent. Um, the culture is really struggling based off of where Petrino left things. And then you make it, you get into a winning uh, conference. I don't care who, who you're playing against um, to be four and three. That, that says something about the coach to me. Cause look at Taggart. I mean, he had plenty of talent, a horrible culture, plenty of talent, barely, barely keeping his head above water. Well, it's the same thing with Mac Brown at North Carolina. I know they're sitting at four and six right now and three and four in the conference, but they don't have a loss by more than seven points on the season. I mentioned they took Pitt to overtime. Um, so he's done an incredible job there, kind of resurrecting that program. Um, but doesn't look like they're going to have to – well, no, they can still win out and make a bowl game. They've got Mercer and then NC State in the season, so – Anyway, so goes the ACC and so goes the Coastal. Um, we may mo- know more after this weekend. We'll at least know, I think, who's definitely knocked out of the Coastal contention, but it's going to take to the last week of the season to really figure that out. Um, Your boy's down in Columbia. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Speaking of uh, finishing out the season, uh, Texas A&M, 30-6 to over South Carolina, just an embarrassing loss uh, for Will Muschamp. And you see all the chatter this week even their own university president saying that uh, Ray Tanner, I guess, has had talks with the Florida State uh, Athletic Department about how they handled the buyout of Willie Taggart. I mean, it could not be going worse down there. They just had to fire an assistant today because he got in a fight with some guy on Halloween dressed as Will Muschamp with a giant buyout paycheck. (laughs) (laughs) That's such a Will Muschamp thing, huh? (laughs) And Will Muschamp wasn't even involved. I mean, just his program, you know, just the kind of culture. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, that that makes sense. I mean, yeah. I, I really thought after the Georgia win, and it, it, the, you know, South Carolina at that point was, you know, 500. They had won two SEC games in a row. They were leading Florida in the fourth quarter, right? Right yeah, after yeah. that game. Well, they were playing, yeah, well, they were playing them close. Were they leading in the fourth I quarter? I think they were leading the fourth quarter. And then a very easy, slight schedule to close out the season. It looked like they were heading to a very respectable finish, and it has been not at all the case. Uh, you know, losing to Appalachian State, um, Tennessee by three scores, and now here you here you go against in state rival, and and they're hitting their hot their hot streak. So, is this the end of Bus Champ? Does Clemson? It it could very well. He's almost like a lame duck coach at this point, with the news coming out that. Um, it's almost like their board of directors and their board of trustees and the, the, the president there had a, some loose lips 
I guess is a way to put it uh, regarding his future. So we'll see how it goes. They, you know, Helensky has regressed as the season has gone along. They gave up over 300 yards rushing to Texas A&M this game. But just kind of taking a look overall, you ask what should South Carolina expect, and Muschamp is kind of at a disadvantage coming on the heels of uh, Steve Spurrier's tenure there. But listen, Muschamp is 26-24 and 24 at South Carolina, 15-17 and 17 in the SEC. He's lost eight of his last 12 games against the Power 5 Conference and lost three straight to Clemson. To me, that just sounds like your average coach at the University of South Carolina. It doesn't seem like he's underperforming. Yeah. I mean, you can't. Here's the thing. In the SEC, it's, it's really hard to just be in the middle. Which he's actually done a fine job of staying in the middle. Usually, you, you're either going straight to the bottom, a la like Arkansas or Vanderbilt, um, or now most recently Mississippi State, or you're starting to move to the top, like what A&M appears to be doing. But uh, he's managing just to hang right in the right in the middle, and I, I don't know how he managed. And I think I don't think he stays there long. I think I think either he's he's going down, or uh, and I don't see up as an option. So I think that kind of seals his fate. Yeah. Somehow, speaking of staying in the middle, somehow at four and seven this year and three and five in conference, they're right smack dab in the middle of the SEC East standings. And it's not the losses to Alabama or the loss to Florida that's going to do them in. It's losses against North Carolina, against Missouri, uh, against Tennessee, against Appalachian State. Not going to hold the A and M loss against them because you know they're a ranked team at this point. But it's it's just losses like that that is. You know, those, when you take a look at that, yeah, it's kind of indefensible. I think so. I mean, and, you know, his calling card being his defense, and it just hasn't been a bit. At first, it was kind of a tough-minded defense, but I, I haven't seen a lot of toughness. Um, it, it doesn't strike me as, a, you know, they're, they're, I guess, saving grace to this point has been some, some, some great play by uh, Bentley at times, and I mean this over the last couple of years. Uh, maybe the biggest bright spot of this season, like you alluded to, was Helensky early in the season against Alabama. That bright spot has quickly faded. So, like, they don't have anything they can just say, hey, we're really good at this right now. No, and now they get the, uh, an extra week off to, to think about the upcoming game we have against them in Columbia. Clemson, likewise, has a bye heading into that game. And, man, you know, last year was – well, definitely surprised all of us with how potent that offense was against the Brent, Venable, this Brent Venable's defense, but I cannot see the same thing happening this year. And uh, if Clemson goes in there and just absolutely annihilates them at home uh, in front of a crowd that may be more orange than Garnet and Black, that could spell the end, and the South Carolina administration may just have to bite the bullet and deal with the buyout. I think if they wait till after December 31st, the buyout only goes down by like a million or so on like a 22 million buyout or something like that. So it's a very small percentage. And you, and you want to have that coach in, in tap yeah. for, uh, for recruiting and yep. It looks like, yeah, yeah. there's no bowl, huh? Okay. So yeah, why not? I mean, you, at some point you might even be rooting as a Carolina fan just for the blowout. If, if you want to get rid of much champ. I'd fire him right now. Don't even let him get to the game. As a Clemson fan, I hope like it's just like it was what I was telling you about Willie Taggart. I hope they stay around as long as they as they want to. I guess, but who's going to go there? Like, there's a there's going to be some good openings this year. Florida State. I mean, I don't know. Uh, I'll, I'll say this: like, is it Will Foley? Is that the Charlotte coach? Sure. 
the charismatic Dabo, you know, in waiting Dabo Jr. Yeah. I mean, they got to take it. They have to take a chance on someone like that. They can't go with, you know, they were about to go with Kirby Smart. Yeah, they're just trying to to pick up the uh, the Nick Saban coaching tree. And how how good has that been? I mean, Kirby Smart is seems to have kind of peaked maybe at Georgia at this point. Well, you know, they could go after Derek Dooley. I heard uh, I heard he's taking interviews right now. Chad Morris is out there. I mean, you know, that's not like, who would I be more afraid of right now, Chad Morris or Muschamp? I think Chad Morris would actually instill more fear in me. There's very few teams that you can say South Carolina is a step up, uh, but Arkansas at two and eight on the year, that's, uh, that would be a step up. Well, well, we'll say this, whenever there's firings, it means the, the coaching carousel begins, and then it means Venables and Elliott and, and Scott are getting calls, so I'd rather everyone stay put. Yeah, well, none of them are going to South Carolina, so fear not. Fair enough. They're, they know better. Yeah, they've seen it up close in person for the past several years. Yeah. Um, so week 13 games to watch here before we end it. Uh, Penn State or Ohio State, that's going to be a big one. Penn State's, um, really, and Ohio State's probably playoff uh, aspirations hinging on this game. If Penn State should beat Ohio State, Somehow, uh, they would have a leg up going into the Big 12 championship game, which means Ohio State would miss that game. Um, likewise, if Penn State lose, they'll obviously be out of it. Uh, then we got Texas A&M at Georgia. Uh, Kevin Bacon versus the Bulldogs. Then Pitt of Virginia Watch Tech. Watch that game. Circle that game, guys. Yeah. I'll tell you what, man. This, this two-by-week season, as nice as it is to have two weekends off, has really killed the quality of the schedule week in and week out. Just having that one extra week kind of diluted the, the, the schedule this season because you haven't really had that big weekend of uh, tons of marquee matchups. Yeah, I agreed. And altogether hasn't been – it's been a good year, but, yeah, I, I don't feel like week in and week out we're seeing the same type of high-level matchups. Could just be me. Hey, so one thing before you jump uh, – you mentioned any other games. How, what's, the sp- what's the score of the Carolina game? And, you know, you can change it before our picks, but – yeah, we got two weeks. Um, wow, it's like, do I see another? I'd, I'd ask myself, do I see another sixty-three seventeen? But I don't think they're going to score seventeen points on us. Um, I could certainly see us scoring sixty-three. What was the one a few years ago? Fifty-six to seven. It could be worse than both of those, to be honest with you. Um, you know, it's a noon game. I don't know if that really affects anything. It's certainly going to take it out of the crowd uh, and, the, and the atmosphere. So that probably bodes in Clemson's favor. But I don't know, man. It could be like 70 to 7, 70 to 10. It could be really bad. On the flip side, you know, no, that, I don't even know if there's a flip side. I just think this team, the Will Muschamp seems to have lost the team. They go in and have a game like that against Texas A&M. And I don't see Brent Venable's uh, falling suspect to that South Carolina offensive onslaught last year, two years in a row. No, I, I think, I mean, you saw what, he did, what Venables did against Mond and what he's done against other more seasoned quarterbacks. I mean, he just makes them look foolish. I, I suspect the same will happen with Helensky. And then, all right, so 26 and a half is what I see right now. I don't know if that's up to date. That's it. As, as the spread, yes. Yeah. So, I mean, we, I, we were we were favored more against Wake Forest. Yeah, well, 
I think, I mean, playing in South Carolina maybe factors in a rivalry game, at least the, you know, the, the history. Um, they beat Georgia. They did beat, <laughs> uh, they did beat Georgia. So I think it's a blowout, but I don't think it gets to like the fifties to seven range. I, I just don't think, I think we're talking about four touchdowns, five touchdowns, maybe just cause I don't think we want to stick our, keep our guys in, in the, you know, Late, late in the third and fourth quarter, if we're up that that much, I think we're trying to stay healthy. Yeah, I, I don't necessarily think our starters need to be in the whole time for us to blow this team out. That they're just they've got talent here and there, but again, the regression of Helensky uh, and just the morale of this team right now it just it doesn't look good. They've lost four of the last five games. They're, yeah, they're not looking good, and we're—I mean—we're going in opposite directions. So, but I just—I don't know if that—that that leads to blowout, though. I think you still get up for one game, and that's this game. Doubt it, but we'll see. Um, all right, so that's a wrap. Uh, thank you, everybody, for joining us once again. We appreciate all the listens. We appreciate. Uh, the feedback, uh, the comments on social media, the iTunes reviews, uh, please keep those coming. We will be back at you after the South Carolina game in two weeks. We're going to take ourselves a week off here. Enjoy Thanksgiving. We wish a happy Thanksgiving to, to, to all of you guys and your families. Um, so we'll be back in two weeks. And again, as I've mentioned previously, basketball season underway. We will be following this team again this year. Sam and I will try to get together for a basketball preview episode kind of in downtime in December um, during uh, the bowl practice. And then, yeah, we'll, of course, be back with you after the South Carolina game, after the ACC championship game, and leading up to the college football playoffs, which we expect Clemson to be in. Again, thanks all for listening, and until next time, and as always, go Tigers. Go Tigers.